Hello, hello, welcome to the Industrix, the brand new show for average gamers like you and me to talk about and discuss the most new and recent in Minecraft news. I'm your host, InfinityFox17, and in my first ever episode, I'm discussing the brand new 1.17 update, Caves and Cliffs Part 1, covering the blocks, mobs and items. We will also discuss the ending of Hermitcraft Season 7. Be sure to listen all the way through so you don't miss any of the details. At the end, I have some excellent recommendations for the best Minecraft content on YouTube and Twitch right now. So let's get right into it. So, as most of you guys listening to this probably already know, 1.17 just released on the 7th of June. It's actually released on both Java Edition and Bedrock Edition at the same time. I have had a bit of time to check it out, guys. From what I've seen, it looks pretty good. But, of course, it still wasn't what we were expecting to start with because of the update being split into two parts, which is a shame, 1.17 part 1 and 1.18 part 2. And let's be honest here, 1.18 is the better half if you've been following all the snapshot videos. If you haven't already, I recommend you go check out Minecraft's official YouTube channel. A few videos in there if you want to take a look at what's in each part. But basically, if you can't be bothered or just don't have the time, 1.17 is all about the new blocks and the new mobs. While 1.18 is more about the new cave generation with all the cave types and all that good stuff. And don't get me wrong, 1.17 has had a little new generation and the devs have, I suppose, worked extremely hard to make sure you get most of the new blocks and mobs in part one. At the moment, it just doesn't really feel anywhere near a complete update like we've seen recently, like 1.13, 1.14, 1.16. All them good updates that are game changers for Minecraft in general and change a major part of the game. One part of the train generation that has stayed the same as intended is the Amethyst Geode. Yes, you are able to find them in your world right now. In 1.17, they are there, and I'm personally very pleased with that. As, if I'm honest, I don't think I would have been able to wait all the way to the release of part 2 for any sort of proper new terrain generation whatsoever. Anyway, we're getting a bit off track here. The Amethyst Geode is a sphere, let's say about 10 blocks wide, coated with Amethyst blocks, which are brand new to Minecraft. They're hollow and you can usually find them under the sea or deep underground where you cave in your world. As you dig, if you spot a block of smooth basalt, then unless you've placed it yourself, congratulations, you've found an Amethyst Geode. A smooth basalt? Then a layer of a brand new white block, calcite, generate surrounding the geodes. Actually, I think it's quite interesting that Mojang has chosen to use some basalt for geodes since that normally generates in nether and basalt deltas, which were added in the 1.16 update last year. But as far as I can see, Amethyst geodes have absolutely no connection to the nether at all. Also, something I need to mention about calcite is that I think it looks uncannily similar to polished gyro. I don't know whether it actually is or, you know, if I'm just going crazy. But that is stuck in my mind for some reason. I just can't seem to unsee it. The last box one in the Amethyst Geode is the budding Amethyst block. They grow Amethyst shards on each of the six sites over time, allowing you to create a fully earth cable Amethyst farm. For a tutorial on how to do this, I have a YouTube video by Natty Ducks. The link will be in the description. Just like the skeleton zombie and spider spawners in dungeons and the magma cube spawners in pickling bastions, budding Amethyst blocks unfortunately don't drop anything when you mine them, even if you're using a soldier pickaxe or push them with pistons. I don't really understand why not, but I'm not a Mojang developer, so I guess we'll just have to live with it for now. Another thing added in the 1.17 update was the brand new or copper ore. Unfortunately you can't make tools out of this and to be honest if they did make tools I don't know where they go. Probably somewhere between iron and stone I reckon. The copper ores are about as rare as iron and they can generate with a regular stone texture and a deep slate ore texture whenever its generation replaces deep slate in the world or tough. More about those two new blocks later. When a block of copper ore is mined by stone pickaxe or higher it'll drop 
between one and four pieces of raw copper. Raw rolls are new for this update and they come in copper, iron and gold variants. They drop instead of the ore block itself which was true in later versions whether that be 1.16, 1.15, 1.7, 1.11, 1.2, .1 any of them versions before 1.17 you drop the ore block but that's changed now. When you mine a block of copper with a fortune 3 pick you can get up to 12 pieces of raw copper which of course when smartly down is 12 ingots. With nine Rora, you can craft them into Rora blocks, which, to be honest, they serve no purpose except they're only decorative. And I don't think anyone would want to use them to decorate the house or anything, so they're pretty much useless. You can smelt the Rora into their respective ingots, but you can't actually smelt the Rora blocks into their respective blocks. You have to craft them back down first, which I find really confusing. I don't know why Mojang have decided to do that, but something they've decided to do. So, I don't know. Again, I'm not a Mahjong developer, so I guess we'll all just have to live with it for now. With these new copper ingots, you can craft many variants of the copper block, like the copper stairs or cut copper slabs. A cool feature Minecraft has added to the blocks is that, quite similar to real life actually, they'll corrode and they'll go from this bright, amazing orange colour through these two intermediate stages to a fully corroded, beautiful, turquoise version of the block, which is called oxidised copper. For a block to change from the regular copper block to the oxidised copper block, takes about 15-80 minecraft days if the copper blocks are in loaded chunks obviously. But what if you don't want your shiny new copper blocks to corrode away? Well, Honeycomb had you covered. Yes, Honeycomb finally has a use in 1.17. Finally, your Honeycomb farms will actually be good. Yeah, your Honeycomb farms will actually have a use. If you craft a piece of Honeycomb with a copper block, or right click with the Honeybone onto the block in any stage of its corrosion, the block becomes a waxed version of that block, like waxed cut copper slabs, for example. It'll never corrode any further, and an added bonus is that when you wax a block of copper, you'll earn yourself the new wax on achievement, and right clicking an axe on any waxed copper block will unwax it, allowing it to corrode again, earning you the wax off achievement, which, as I'm sure you know, is a reference to film Karate Kid, which I think is really fun that Mojang have put in, that, in here because it's just a fun little Easter egg there. Apart from the new blocks, there are a few exciting items you can craft with copper, one of which is the spyglass. To be honest, the spyglass is pretty much a telescope crafted with two copper ingots on the crafting table right below an amethyst shard. The spyglass zooms in by holding down the right mouse button, and your field of view is actually very limited and you do move very slowly, but what I do find quite exciting is it zooms in further than Optifine, just a bit further, which if I'm honest, I think Mojang may have done deliberately. I can see many Minecraft content creators using Spyglass a decent amount in the future. I actually have an idea of how to improve the Spyglass and make it a little more useful, you know? So, how about you craft Spyglass with a crossbow to make a scoped crossbow? Well, she allows you to zoom in with the Spyglass and shoot more accurately, a bit like a sniper in shooter games. I think that would be really cool, and I don't know about anyone else, but I think it will make me use the crossbow a lot more than I do right now. Another item craftable from copper is the lightning rod. It is able to be crafted in the crafting table from three copper ingots on top of each other in the crafting window. When you place the lightning rod onto the ground, it will attract lightning in thunderstorms and deflect from a channeling trident. It'll stop all your beautiful wooden structures being burnt to the ground. Also, what I think is pretty calls it outputs a redstone single when it's struck by lightning which i'm sure redstone geniuses like mumbo jumbo will be able to put to good use i think we'll see a lot of charged creeper powered mob pad farms coming soon i think we'll be able to get them into our worlds very soon actually i for one will be looking at tutorials on youtube to try find the best ones last of all about copper drowns now drop copper ingots instead of gold ingots which i think is really interesting i don't know why minecraft's done it but personally i think it's quite a good change definitely make drowned farms a lot more useful as an infinitely renewable source of copper which is is always good because we like things to be renewable to make our lives easy especially in the late game
one of the cave types that was originally planned for 1.17 was the lush caves, full of vegetation like drip leaves, moss, glow berries, spar blossoms, and more. Sadly though, like most of the other new generation, it has been delayed until 1.18 Caves Eclipse Part 2. But as I was saying earlier, the devs have incorporated ways for you to get these exciting new Lush Cave blocks in 1.17, so you don't need to wait until Part 2 to use them in your long-term survival worlds. Moss blocks can now actually spawn as a loot item in shipwreck chests, and you can bone meal the block to spread this sort of mini Lush Cave generation to stone blocks near to it. You can get drip leaves, spar blossoms, and azalea flowers from this, among all of the other lush cave blocks. In mineshaft chests, you can now find glow berries, which you can place as cave vines and then bone meal to grow the berries and farm them. If I'm honest, glow berries are another kind of pointless feature, apart from decor right now. I suppose you can feed foxes with them and climb them, but we have sweet berries and vines for that. And anyways, I'll be surprised if Mojang don't have a second use to them. In Caves and Cliffs Part 2. Last of all, you can buy these new blocks off the Wandering Trader, who has somehow managed to wander into biomes that don't exist yet. But jokes aside, credit to Mojang for making one of Minecraft's most useless mobs actually useful, even if it's only until 1.18 is released at the end of this year. Another cave type that was meant to be added in 1.17, that being Dripstone Caves. Another cave type. Another cave type was meant to be added in 1.17. That being dripstone caves. The dripstone caves were going to be huge caves full of stalactites and stalagmites. So Mojang has added a way for you to get these blocks without the new generation as well. Low down in the world, dripstone blocks will generate a, a lot. Low down in the world, dripstone blocks will generate along with the dripstone stalactites and stalagmites. Low down in the world, dripstone blocks will generate along with the dripstone stalactites and stalagmites. So, if you want to create the perfect bullet, like skip the tutorial, look for the link in the description, or renew the live source using dripstone and cauldrons, all as well. 1.17. 1.17 was also going to make the underground deeper until y minus 60 something. 1.17 was also going to make the underground deeper until y minus 60 something. I think it was 64. 1.17 was also going to make the underground deeper until y minus 60. 1.17 was also going to make the underground deeper. Below y0, a new block called Deep Slate, a tougher, darker version of regular stone, would generate instead of the actual regular stone, and a new block, Tough, would generate instead of granite, diorite, and andesite. Because that obviously can't happen with the update delay. Low down in your world, patches of tough and deep slate will generate, like the dripstone we talked about just a minute ago. Whenever these deep slate tough patches generate in the space of ours, these ours will become deep slate versions of the ore in question. There is also a major glitch in 1.17 that I'm happy. There is also a major glitch in 1.17 that I'm sure you guys will have heard talking about on YouTube, or you started a brand new survival world, 1.17. I've created a new SMP with my brother actually. So, this glitch makes diamonds substantially rarer. Two times rarer, in fact. Yes, you heard me correctly, that's right, diamonds are even harder to get than before. It's because of the new ore distribution that was being planned for 1.18 and accidentally implemented into 1.17. This is going to make diamonds more plentiful. The lower down in the world you go, with only a few generating at y equals zero, 
and of course the rest of and, of course, the rest at the deep slayer. I think this glitch will definitely be patched very soon by the devs. I for one would be very surprised if it wasn't fixed in the next few days, if not the next couple of weeks. My advice is try not to explore any more new chunks before it's fixed, and wait before creating any new survival worlds until it's fixed, obviously. My advice is not try to explore any more new chunks before it's fixed, and wait before creating any survival worlds. As I said, and wait before creating any new survival worlds. As I said, I expect that will be fixed very soon. There have been three new mobs. There have been three new mobs added in this update. The Axolotl, Glow Squid and Goat. The first mob brand The first brand new mob to be added to the snapshots were Axolotls. In snapshot 22. The first brand new mob to be added to the snapshots were axolotls in snapshot 20w51a. If you don't know what that means, 20 means the year 2020 and w51 means the 51st week in that year and the a means the first snapshot in that week, as there's usually two. The next was the glow squid in 21w3a, the last being the goat in 21w13a. The axolotl is an aquatic mob that spawns in water right now but will eventually. The axolotl is an amphibious mob that spawns in water right now but will eventually spawn in the giant aquifers coming part 2 of the update. You can pick up axolotls in a bucket. The axolotl is an The axolotl is an amphibious mob. The axolotl is an amphibious mob that spawns in the water right now but will eventually the axolotl is an aquatic mob that spawns in water right now, but will eventually spawn in the giant aquifer screen part 2 of the update. You can pick up axolotls in a bucket. The axolotl is an aquatic... The axolotl is an amphibious mob that spawns in water right now, but will eventually spawn in the giant underground aquifers coming in part 2 of the update. You can pick up axolotls in a bucket, creating a bucket of axolotl. This will earn you the new achievement, the cutest predator. You can pick up an axolotl when it's walking on land, and place it down for a water source and the axolotl effectively creating a water cube. Let's be honest here though, that sort of pointless when let's be honest here though, that sort of pointless with infinite water sources and all that. If you team up with an axolotl to kill a drowned, you learn the achievement, the healing power of friendship. Axolotls will attack underwater mobs, so going back to the idea I proposed before, an axolotl powered drown farm for copper will be really cool. Plus, they they'll never. Plus, they'll never die. As in reference to real life, when they can regenerate lost limbs, axolotls will play dead and get the regeneration effect after taking a certain amount of damage. The glow squid was the mob of our wonderful Minecraft. The glow squid was the mob our wonderful Minecraft community voted for. It's just a squid that glows. It spawns deep in the oceans, and like axolotls, they'll eventually spawn in the underground aquifers. They drop the glowing sack. They drop the glowing sack that can be applied to both signs and item frames to make them glow. I don't think there's much else to be said about the glow squid now. Goats ratted last, but the goats ratted last, but they were first in the bedrock edition betas with only new mountain generation that's plan for 1.18 first. The goats ratted last, but they were seen first in the bedrock edition betas with only new mountain generation that's plan for 1.18. They can be milked for, well, milk, 
I find that a bit irritating, and Mojang just being a bit lazy, as it's the same milk you get from a cow, which makes no sense. You could at least make special goat milk that gives you a jump boost, like the goats themselves, for, I don't know, maybe 10 seconds. To be able to make goat cheese in Minecraft as well, I think would be really cool. Please, Mojang. Just please, Mojang. Another interesting thing, besides that the goat is a drop plan for 1.18, the goat horn. Another interesting thing, besides that, is that the goat has a drop plan for 1.17. Another interesting thing another interesting thing besides that is that the goat has another drop plan for 1.18, the goat horn. There are a few conspiracies about this, one of the most popular being that it could be used to help defeat the warden. The last thing before we move on, you can earn yourselves the whatever floats your goat achievement by riding in a boat with, yes, you guessed it, a goat. And that's about it for features list. Is it a list? And the call of the list. There are a few minor things to discuss, like the new burning, drowning, freezing, damage sounds, and how bone meal makes a sound now. But I think all the major things you guys need to hear, I've told you. So let's just get to the next section of this podcast. So let's just get to the next section of this podcast, shall we? Whether it be Mumbo, Iskal, Zazuma, Corallis, or any other hermit, most of you here have probably watched at least one episode of Hermitcraft Season 7. I, for one, am a huge fan of all the Hermits and have been following the series extremely closely as it has progressed from resetting the Nether for 1.16 to the relatively recent HCBBS. I am quite sad to see the series end, but I am definitely looking forward to Season 8, which I will expect to start relatively soon, possibly once the Diamond or Rarity glitch we talked about earlier gets fixed. So, in honour of Season 7, I thought to take a look at all the Hermits' bases and shops from this season. Hypnotised. Hypnotize returned from Season 3 after playing a lot of mod packs like Project Ozone, ready and fresh to play vanilla Minecraft again. He settled on a number of islands, expanding them to accommodate his base. He terraformed the smaller islands of his archipelago into a tropical paradise. Hypno had two shops this season, the Diamond Shop, where he sold various goods for one diamond each, and his Trident Shop, which was eventually relocated due to Green offering to buy his land for a barger expansion. He also joined the Podzel party with Vintage Beef, Ethos Lab. After taking a break for a season, Etho was back and built his base on the west side of the map in the jungle. His base was a sort of compound base, that being it had no exterior wall to make it a complete structure, and then it consisted of various buildings. His closest neighbour was Suzuma Void. Etho also had two shops in Season 7. The Ice Shop, which of course sold ice, and Shady Ease, which is a prank shop based around a subscription service. People would pay for a lifetime supply of free glass, and they would get the empty space and all the chests filled with the light grey stained glass panes renamed Congratulations on Free Glass XD. The fee to unsubscribe to the service cost a diamond block, and the hermit will be paid three diamonds of the progressing of the hermits to join up. Vintage Beef. Vintage Beef was the last hermit in Season 7 to skip the previous season. His last season before Season 7 was Season 5. In Season 7, he founded the Podzor Party. He and Hypnotise were the only members. At the start of the season, Vintage Beef transformed an abandoned desert village into a beach holiday town. He later built a luxurious hacienda on a mountain overlooking the town. He also constructed a cyberpunk city on an island elsewhere, which he named Three Fox Hole. I personally want to build something like this in my own long-term survival world. His first shop of the season was The Bone Zone, a minigame and sheep product shop. He owns three other shops, The Spits, selling llamas, a music shop, Beefy Tunes, and a Season 7 wallpaper shop where he sold custom map art. He also co-owned a noteblock shop with Ethos Lab, known as Little Ethos Little Music Box. B-double-O. B-dub's database was half of the mansion he purchased from Green in Season 6. He and Doc M77 rebuilt it, having side each and becoming neighbours. They became a prank war between them, with both Corrales and False Symmetry getting involved. B 
dub space for the season was a medieval castle on a custom-built cliff overlooking a medieval town. After supporting good times with Scar in the mayoral election, it gained an office in the town hall. It supported Hermitcraft environmental protection in the season 7 turf war, but as the team lost the minigame, he's now an employee of Shady Ease. One of B-Dubs' businesses was as a partnership with Impulse SV and Tango Tech. They created the company, The Boomers, which was a demolition service. Club Van 135. At the start of Season 7, Club built a few miniature pyramids to house his starter base and farm, eventually going on to create an absolutely massive pyramid megabase with a 10x10 piston door entrance, and creating something similar to the mind megabase in Minecraft Survivor World. His first shop was his quartz shop, located at 00 and named Origins. He has four amorphous land crystals surrounding the open air shop. Later on in the season, he and Zombie Cleo started a newspaper service called the Hermiton Herald, where they had Zazuma Void as a journalist. Doc M77. Doc M's starter base was the other half of Green's mansion from season 6, which we already talked about when we were talking about B dubs. During the prank war, B dubs and Corellis blew up part of Doc M's main base. Mount Goatmore. He sought revenge, hiring a team of fellow hermits and assassins to hunt down B dubs. Having become a parent halfway through the season, Doc M took a break from Hermitcraft. Upon his return, he needed to gather many diamonds, so he built a gigantic turtle bar, which quickly made him one of the richest, if not the richest, hermit on the server. In the shopping district, he had a shop selling food, called the Five Goats. He was attached to his first shop selling mending books, Goats Mending Machine. False Symmetry Falsus' base this season consisted of a hole dug down to bedrock with a hexagonal pattern and a futuristic tower. In the giant hole, she built a cyberpunk city. Close to the end of a series, she described the base as an evil base. False Symmetry beat the Ender Dragon with Zedaf plays in a boat, and as a result built her shop, False's End Emporium. She later shut this down and removed it. She would go on to build other shops, such as a weapon shop and two-dimensional. She was chief designer and builder of the post-1.16 nail hub and contributed to it greatly. Good times with Scar. Scar's starter base took the form of Laurie the Snail. He developed a magical village around him with a backstory. This was in the southwestern jungle he shared with multiple other hermits, including Mumbo and Green. He started this mega base relatively late through the season. It was based on a futuristic drilling machine for the upcoming 1.16 Nether. Due to his own and his cat's health issues at the time, he did not finish the project before 1.16, which is a shame. He initially ran for mayor because B-double-O pressured him to. He eventually won, becoming mayor of the shopping district and B-dubs his assistant. He removed all the mycelium from the shopping district, even though the mycelium resistance and not the HEP won the turf war. Green. At the start of the season, Green created a Hobbit Hall to use as his starter base, and creates a minecart rail system code to communicate with Mumbo Jumbo. His main base was a giant mansion on a hill. He challenged himself by using two block diagonals over the building process. He made only one shop this season, Green's Emporium, or the Barge. He made up for it though, as this progressed into a shopping empire, with the last project to complete in the season being a minigame, the HEVBS, or Hermitcraft Big Barge Suite. As the minecart travelled through a series of twisting, winding tunnels, players had to grab as many junk items and treasure out of shulker boxes as possible. Impulse SV helped hugely during its building due to it ending up in his shop Impulse buys. I Jevin. Jevin's base was located in the sea, a sphere made out of endstone and glass. After constructing it, he decided he didn't like the design and blew most of it up in order to restart. Before the season ended, he had several shops in the shopping district, including Sky Zone Elytra Shop, for Elytra, the armor stand for diamond armor and tools, the TNT shop for TNT, and House of Free places his old shop. General Mob Farm drops for selling drunk items from his mob farm. Impulse SB. Impulse built a colourful sea pyramid for his mega base this season in the middle of the Hermiatic Ocean. He built a large structure on top of the pyramid before later deciding he didn't like it and blowing it up. At the start of the season, he originally settled in a desert village at the edge of the ocean. Pre 1.16, he made a bedrock breaking shop, which he decommissioned when the Nether update released. Another shop was Guardian Goodies, an exception of the barge called Impulse Buys. 
and Impulse's Eminem Emporium, which was where the bedrock breaking shop used to be. Iskal 85. Iskal originally transformed an abandoned mine shaft into a base, whilst I hung up on a giant tree in the middle of a jungle lake, which he aptly named the Omega Tree of Doom. One of Iskal's goals for the season was to collect 10,000 diamonds. He constructed a slime shop and later a redstone shop next to it to help him achieve this. Although, by the end of his series, he had only gathered just over 2,000, a fifth of his goal. He still insisted it had been a great success. Joe Hills. Joe Hills built his base on the Strait of Gibraltar which he named after himself. He built his starter base on a sunken ship, then a winery and vineyard around it. He also built a lighthouse that is a replica of the Tower of Hercules in Galicia, Spain. Underneath, he mined and terraformed a ravine cannon, surrounding three spawner-based farms. Joe made the Season 7 shopping district roads out of cobblestone and charged people for a permit to modify them. He also terraformed the land around the shopping district near the portal and, again, charged people for a permit to change it. Both of the permits were sold at his shop. Folks at work. Joe was the only hermit to run for the role of dog catcher in the mayoral election, which he obviously won. Corrales. Corrales' starter base was inside several different coloured chicken crates. After the prank war with B-dubs, Doc M and Falls, Corrales extended his starter base into a bustling industrial city with a bank, pot and much, much more. His shop, Lucky Lucky at My Bucky, sold enchanted books and quickly became one of the most profitable shops on the server. As a result, he became one of the richest hermits and set up a second shop, Lucky Lucky at My Cookie, some time later. As part of the hermit challenges, Green had to sell rotten flesh to somebody. He chose Corrales and he played two stacks of diamonds for it. Corrales later said he could keep the diamonds for himself. Mumbo Jumper. Mumbo is my favourite hermit on Hermitcraft. He built a hobbit hole much like Green's as a starter base, and an ancient monument being preserved by a future generation is his main base for the season. He started by building his mega wrenches out of white concrete and iron blocks, then went on to build the living ancient monument inside, which featured a beating golden heart that could be heard throughout the base. The base needed to be fed golden apples to stay alive. Mumbo's idea shops-wise for the season was to build unusual shops, which he succeeded in. Some of his unconventional shops included Flatpog Redstone Contraption Shop, Oh Dear, and Passiton, a shop containing a single barrel of resources. Hermits could take what they wanted, but they had to refill the barrel with something useful to someone else. Both of these shops weren't very successful. Even Odia's official wiki labels it as unsuccessful and unprofitable. Rendog. Ren was stranded on Luke's island at the start of the season. He planned to create a base beneath the island, but changed his mind when the demolition service blew up most of his island, along with his pet mushroom, Pamela, and most of his items. He moved to a mesa near the southern jungle, which he transformed into a Star Wars-themed base, which he named the Valley of Tattoo Ren. He built Big Logs Inc. from Season 6, renaming it Bigger Logs Inc. His main shot sold logs farmed in this industrial district of salt. Stress Monster 101. Stress's Hermitcraft serving base was another compound base, incorporating whatever she felt like building at the time, and I have to say it came out quite well. She owned a glass shop which she started very early on in the season. She also created a potion brew and star called Monsters Brew. Tango Tech. Tango's base was a colourful set of cartoon-themed buildings, housing many farms, such as his Ravodra-based iron farm. He worked with the Zazuma Void to take down the Ender Dragon at the beginning of the season. Impulse SV and Tango Tech both created the Star Concrete Complete, which later had a name change to Colour Complete, hence the Star Patterns to sell Coloured Wool and Dyes. He also created an immensely popular and very complicated mini game, decked out below the shopping district. He was part of the Boomers with Impulse and Beedle below. XB Crafted XP's closest neighbour was 10,000 blocks away. Cross repeatedly remarked that he lived on another server in a galaxy far, far away. He built his megabase attached to a floating island in a shattered savannah biome. XP Redstone Shop, Red Zone, was originally designed like a redstone repeater, but then he later changed it to a steampunk-style building. Zazuma Void. Zazuma's main base for the season was a set of futuristic white and grey towers in the jungle. Each tower houses a different farm. On one side of the base sits Ethos base, and on the other side, Corrales' city. His first shop was a shop selling bee-related products. Beneath this, he constructed a rock shop. Later, he and Corrales teamed up to build a concrete shop, Zedaf Poise. Zedaf created his home, the cave of contraptions, inside of a hollowed-out mountain to the north of the shopping district. He filled the cave with all sorts of weird and wacky machines, such as a jump-powered furnace, 
and the bed that randomly either awaits you up on the right side or the wrong side. Zed have created a shop, Uozada, in which you complete a random favour in return for two diamond blocks. Cleo Battle Zoo is her main base for the season, making use of arm stands as animals. She built an exhibit for each of the hermits as well. Her main residence was through the zoo's administration office. During HGBBS, she swapped bases with Corrales and populated the city with arm stand people. But in the end, Corrales and Cleo both agreed to have part ownership of each other's bases, they both enjoyed working on various parts of each. The head games were set up by Cleo, a PvP minigame where hermits tried to kill each other to collect each other's head for point. So that's the Hermitcraft 7 recap pretty much completed, guys. As you may have noticed, I did skip out both Tim Falshef and Wells Knight, due to them not being active on the server for most, if not all, of the season. So with that, I will once again say a fond farewell to Hermitcraft Season 7, and I'm looking forward to Season 8. So now, as promised, I have some recommendations for Minecraft content. The links to all the content will be in the description. If you haven't already seen it, the Third Life series is a good series to check out. It is just finished and it's based upon the idea of having three lives. In your last life, you must fight to eliminate the other players. I personally have been following Green's series and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I would also recommend checking out Hermit's Hermitcraft Season 7 finales as we just talked about a minute ago. Pixel Rift's The Hardcore Survival Guide series can give you an in-depth look at the new set one. Pixel Rifts the Hardcore Survival Guide series, which is Pixel Rifts series the hard Pixel Rift series the Hardcore Survival Guide can give you an in-depth look at the new 1.17 features as well as the new SMP he is part of Empire's SMP. The idea around this series is that people can specialize. In the idea around this Empire's SMP is that people specialize in the gathering or manufacturing of a specific goods such as iron or lush cave blocks and to war or trade over them. Modern Minecraft such as RLCraft and custom mod packs, I say look no further than Forge Labs, he's one of my favourite YouTubers, end of. For bedrock players out there, like me, looking for a bedrock Hermitcraft style SMP can be hard, but look no further. Truly Bedrock Season 3 has just started and I personally will be following Silent Whisperer in particular. That being said, Silent Whisperer is also a great bedrock redstone builder, who posts many bedrock redstone and non-redstone farms on his channel. Another great bedrock YouTuber I recommend is IBX Toycat. He has an eight-year-old survival world that he frequently posts let's plays on. And another great bedrock YouTuber I would recommend is IBX Toycat. He has an eight-year-old survival world he frequently posts let's plays on, and obviously he's very passionate about long-term survival worlds. And, and obviously he's very passionate about long-term survival worlds and pointless projects. Plus, about half his viewers are Java players, so even if you play Java, we'll welcome you into the world of house fires and big salmon. Don't worry, you'll see when you watch the videos. If you just want to chill out, checky. If you just want to chill out, check out Tommy in it, Tubbo and Phil's are playing on the Dream SMP, Origins SMP, and Phil's is hardcore series on Twitch. They stream the but they do use a little foul language, so be careful if you're under 12. For creative builders, Trixie Blocks can be your answer due to his large scale building expertise. Right now, he's building the ultimate survival world. So that concludes my first ever episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know in the comments what you enjoyed and what I could have done better. Please like, subscribe and download. If you like, you can even become a patron over at patreon.com slash infinityfox17. That would mean the world to me. Be sure to tell your friends about this podcast. Whether you listen on Google Podcasts, the Podbean app, Amazon Music, Audible, TuneIn, Amazon Alexa, Player FM, I'll listen though. Thanks all you guys so much for listening. This has been The End of Chest. I've been Infinity Fox 17 Over and out.